Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. Now tonight's program, June Baylou from Tribeca Alpha Plus, looks at the tech stocks that she really likes and she tells you why these companies are quite significant and worth considering for your portfolio. And then Paul Ricard looks at the recent tech rebound we've seen whenever the market's gone positive and to see whether this was a sneak preview of what might happen down the track and what must happen for that to actually occur. And then Michael Knox, the Chief Economist from Morgans in Brisbane, he looks at where interest rates are going, how high might they go, and you might not like what he has to say. That's the show for tonight. Let's kick off now with June Baylou of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Welcome Jim Baylou. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, you and I over the past have been willing and hoping tech stocks to make a recovery. Uh, and what we've seen, particularly last week, but in some weeks in the past as well, that as soon as Wall Street becomes positive mm. on the stock market, generally driven by uh, the idea that interest rates might not go as high as they mm. might have expected, tech stocks take off and mm. then they, they lose ground. Mm. Is this a sneak preview of what you expect to happen somewhere down the track? Look, absolutely. So um, you're absolutely right. It's about the interest rate expectations, which now we already started seeing that stabilizing. You know, mm. um, we're seeing the inflation potentially, you know, will be uh, topped out pretty much, mm. uh, or the commodity prices falling and things means inflation lies high, interest rates sort of all expectations all priced in. Yeah. Um, and another thing is also uh, when people become very bearish, which happened you know in the last few months, mm. um, you know people take money out of the market. Mm. So a lot of that money actually sits in the tech stock um, because they've been doing so well, the market leaders for mm. many many years. Mm. Um, so you're just seeing it just persistent selling in those stocks. So one is interest rate, two is that just people taking money off the table mm. um, just to be more defensive. So you need one is stabilization of interest rate expectation. Two is that when people become a little bit more optimistic about the outlook, just, uh, you know, recession, yeah, there might be a mild one in the US, but, you know, it's not going to be as bad as we, we thought it might be. You know, there's no stagflation, there's not all these horror terms that people used. Yeah. Uh, and I think these conditions are getting very close for, to, for us to get to that stabilization stage. Yeah, so when people ask me, I'm saying, well, if you're a, a, a more of a, a patient long-term investor who doesn't like to lose money, mm. <laughs> uh, you might want to wait until end of US reporting season, mm. uh, end of um, Australian reporting season, get a couple of more CPIs out of the way both in the mm. US and Australia. And by then the market will probably have made up its mind about whether it wants to go down mm. a lot more or start rising. Yeah. Is that a pretty fair call? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, your biggest one is um, your we will have. So the U.S. reporting season actually so far started okay, yeah. um, but the, you know there's every chance as big it goes on. Big week this week. Yeah, big this, week. this week, and then we'll have all the consumer stocks reporting. So you know that's going to be a little bit tough. We already heard mm -hmm. from a few consumer names, so that's a little bit risky. That needs to be done. Uh, Australian one needs to be done, um, and uh, the next big reading in terms of um, U.S. Uh, economic thing is the uh, in inflation. Yeah. So that inflation for July should be weaker. Yeah significantly weaker yeah, yeah. Um, and in and if that's going to be the case that will really underpin that whole expectations for the interest rates yeah um, so you know another month um, yeah. we're ready to go yeah and so um, therefore are you thinking that the December quarter is probably going to be the point of time 
when the market will make a decision about whether it's going to go up or go down. I, I think that, and I think the market will go up. Mm. But you know, as people might accuse me of being too positive. I don't mm. know why they do that, Jim <laughs> Bailey. But uh, are, you in the, are you in my camp or are you in the more hesitant camp? No, I'm in your camp. I think uh, I'm pretty positive the equity market. Mm. Um, people need to remember, um, you know, equity market always, it's not about how we feel right now. Oh, equity market look forward 6 to 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Um, so we saw all these sell-off pretty much in the last few months. It's because we worry about recession, worry about how things will get bad, but mm. things hasn't got bad yet. Mm. Um, but so by the time we started feeling like things a bit tight, consumer not great, equity markets are already looking forward. So yeah. um, so that means the share price already reflecting what is to come. Yeah. So by December quarter, I do believe that our market will do a lot better. Uh, um, but do be mindful that consumer stock might struggle, you yeah. know, certain sector might struggle, but generally net-net, yeah. uh, market definitely okay. is stronger. Also, the big drivers of our market ultimately are fund managers with lots of money, mm. right? Now, there are fund managers that play a very short game, mm. and I and I figure they're the ones who are who are mo most influential in the short term because they're mm. a short game. Absolutely, yeah. Someone like you, you do buy and mm. wait for mm. the rotation back into the stock. You you look for value when they're down. Absolutely. So so has this been a, a tough year in that sense? Mm. But but you're hoping or you're expecting the end of the year to be very rewarding for you. Oh, absolutely. So um, th that, this is the thing about stock markets. Um, you don't want to invest with the herd because, mm. you know, if you invest what everyone else is investing, mm. that means you're paying too much money or you're selling it with everyone else's. You're selling way too way too low in terms of price. Mm. So we always tend to be a little bit more contrarian, taking a slightly longer term view. Mm. Catalyst may be three months, six months, 12 months down the track, but you know it's coming. Buying CSL at a certain price, you know it's a back draw sort of thing. Yeah. Buying um, zero at a certain price, you know it's, um, you know, your downsize limited. So, you know, just with those sort of stocks, you just got to buy them when when it gets to a target price. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, last year was hard because there was so much macro, so much uncertainty coming from investors, just mm. top down view, right? Rather than bottom up. And the bottom up's been pretty good for okay. those stocks. Um, we saw last week, Zip, which is a company mm. historically I've liked and, and you liked as well. Mm. Um, um, do you think a company like that is sort of um, betting down uh, a base from which they can actually start improving from the unbelievably low price we've seen? Mm -mm -mm. And even though I'm not expecting anything like the $12 we once saw, mm -mm. do you think this company is actually trying to impress the market and are they getting away with it? Uh, look, I think they're absolutely trying to impress the market. Um, the entire, if you look at the entire fintech space, not just Zip, it's mm. every fintech has yeah. been decimated just because money's becoming more expensive. Um, and I think you know we, we always recognise this sector. They just need to go through M and A. Mm. You know, merger acquisition is very important. They need to get bigger and faster. <coughs> yeah. um, and uh, they're going through a challenging phase when capital is not readily available. And, and unfortunately, the deal was settled didn't quite work out. But in a way, it's good because they were paying too big a price. Yeah. Um, so you know, so but next. Thing, next checklist is really they need to align with a larger player. Mm. Um, th this sector, you know, it is maturing quite quickly. Mm. So it's very important to really get to scale. Yeah. Um, have you been surprised that some of the, the big players haven't gone along and 
bought these when their share price got ridiculously low? Yeah, I, I'm surprised, but I think it's come from conservative. Um, uh, it's probably more confidence than anything else. You know, like the big banks, why wouldn't you have bought to those guys who's yeah. fast growing and can replace a lot of your thing? I think it comes down to, um, you know, we all say people like to be contrarian. However, when share price falls, everyone gets nervous, right? Mm. So large institutions, especially, they will be sitting there going, oh, do we really want to buy this? Mm. You know, how do we explain to shareholders? What will our shareholders say? Um, so unfortunately, a lot of times those large companies are sitting there um, waiting for the bottoming in share price. So when the share price start rallying and they'll buy 50% higher yeah. and they do they do that all the time. Yeah. So that's all it is. And, and so you're thinking there's a lot of tech companies out there that have probably built up good brand names, mm. but they really do need a, a big buyer to come along to give them some real market grant. I think they just, uh, it, it, that's right, and then just essentially align themselves with a bigger platform so they mm. can reach out more merchants and more customers and mm. it's just you need to get bigger mm. um, because it's a global business. Mm. Um, opportunity is enormous. So yeah. You just need to get there. Otherwise it becomes competition will pick up, then it becomes a little bit irrelevant. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so has any or have a few companies come on your radar screen over the last few weeks? Look, I think um, in terms of the opportunity, um, you know, so going through some of the tech names, even though have bounced quite significantly, mm. um, you know, I think there's still a lot left in terms of upside. Mm. Uh, one of the names I'll talk to is, um, you know, uh, Megapool. Yeah. Um, you know, we always liked Megapool. The share yeah. price was decimated yeah. because it's one of those, um, you know, not profitable tech, but very fast growing. Um, and um, and then they recently reported yeah. uh, numbers more or less in line with expectations. Their share price up more than 25%. Mm. Um, and but however, if you look at over, you know, a few month view, share price. Still well down. Mm. Um, so this is something that we thought, okay, it, it is actually doing really well. It's got this beautiful long-term story. Mm. Um, and then it's hitting all the matrix now. Yeah. Um, people worry about downgrading things. It didn't happen. Um, and it's just reached the EBITDA positive. Yeah. And, and it seems to me, I like tech stocks <coughs> that ha actually have an international competitive advantage. And mm. Megapool has that. They're, like they're mm. a major player mm. in the space that it plays. Mm. Where but now, there's so much in it now. That's part of the problem why the share price so is going. So many people. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly. Once I think I described the megapool as a Telstra of the future, right. no, not many people liked it. But yeah. it is becoming like an infrastructure business. Yeah. Um, but it is one of the you know number one player around yeah. the world in getting all these big contracts. Yeah. And every and the the earning is very annuity like. So everyone who signs up, um, you know, essentially just um, you know on the monthly bill. Yeah. Um, and then they only get more and more ports and get more and more services from yeah. them. So it's very stable, very predictable. Yeah, the interesting example I was giving about Megaport was take take a, a business like the VRC in Melbourne Cup time. Mm -hmm. They don't need that capacity most weeks of the year. Mm -hmm. But over those two or three weeks of the spring carnival, they need a mega website. So they Absolutely. go and buy all these sports. Yeah, yeah their capacity right. from Megaport. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that seems to me that's a good business. Another one I've come across which seems to have an international competitive advantage I don't know if you've ever come across it before, Ordinate. Oh yes, I like this company. You like the company? I do like the company. Yeah. I think um, it surprises me, um, you know, not surprised me, it's just amazing to see Australian companies are so, you know, so so innovative yeah. and co globally competitive. Yeah. And the business was really penalised by the uh, pandemic because mm. concerts, it's a concert. That's right. There's yeah. no concerts. But like, a few weekends ago, I took my kids uh, to a concert. It was packed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, demand. So it is a reopening story yeah. as well as, you know, that global reach, global growth that's to come through. 
spirit. Yeah, mm. okay. And of course, we think Zero is a similar company that mm -hmm. its technology, its software technology is quite distinctive. And a huge addressable market. They're opening up more markets, right? So Australia dominates New Zealand, uh, UK addressable market dominates okay. the US. One last one, mm. and this is a company I know in the past you've liked, and I know you would have done your homework on it, and that's REA. Now, okay. some people think REA is not going to do well because house prices are going to come off the boil. Mm. But I've heard alternative arguments saying that, well, when the house prices come off the boil, lots of people list their property mm. to try and sell. So these, these sites do really well. Have you done your homework on REA and determined whether it's at a buy level or um, is it a wait and see? Uh, look, it's a buy level. Um, so REA is probably one of the highest quality company listed in the ASX. Very yeah. high quality company. Be it tech or non-tech. Tech or non-tech, yeah. very high quality. Uh, it always used to be very expensive. Share prices yeah. come down a lot. Yeah. Um, listing, okay, we'll talk about near term or we'll talk about long term. Near term, listing actually turned out to be very strong. Main listing was very strong. June mm. listing yeah. was very strong. They're going to have a very good result and updates. Yeah. So Which we kind of alluded to on this show. I think exactly. even Domain said the same thing. Yeah, Domain said the same They're thing. They're doing well. So I actually think the result that's coming first week of uh, August is going to be really strong so yeah. share price will pop on that now in terms of longer term you know people will say oh longer term when was the last time you experienced it look at GFC so real estate listing was very um, you know in terms of impact from GFC was quite mild mm. um, but of course it was a fast-growing company back then penetration slow but everything but put that aside that it was quite mild in yeah. terms of impact it was down like low single digits um, and then um, following that uh, where we had really hot property market post GFC and when we had a hot property market, listing was still weak. Yeah. Um, and that's because, and I think it's very true, people, the property just sells so quickly yeah. and they don't list as long. Yeah. And uh, so as the property market contracts a little bit, which just before um, pandemic, mm. remember when pandemic hit, finally the listing started turning mm. because property market was cooling a little bit and mm. listings suddenly become positive and then pandemic hit and they go the other way. So I actually think, you know, there is truth to that. And um, Given this company, it, it you know it's got so many levers to pull. It's not just a volume story. No. Uh, it's got all the recently the press a lot of price increases through through these guys as well as through Demay mm. as well. Um, it's a depth product, a premium product that's selling very well. So all of these will actually more to the revenue than the other side. Mm. And both of these companies, Demay and REA, they have very flexible. Uh, cost uh, in terms of operating cost. Yep. So the minute things slow and they can see us really quickly, they can pull the cost straight away. And both company has put a lot of cost in in the last few years to keep up with the, with mm. the demand. So, um, you know, th there's a lot of areas where they can cut very quickly. So, you know, it's incredible business. And then there's the margin is, um, yeah. is very flexible. I guess if someone's putting together a portfolio for the first time, REA should be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Jim Lu, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. That's Jim Lu of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Well, over the next four weeks, we've got a whole series of important data drops and, of course, US and local reporting season. But economics is going to be critically important, particularly when we look to see what the central banks do. I want to talk to Michael Knox, Chief Economist at Morgan's, to see what he thinks is going to happen over the next four weeks. Mike, great to see you. Good to you, Peter. All right, Michael, um, CPI coming up uh, this week. What kind of number are you guessing will come up? Uh, well, something around, uh, I think 5.8, but uh, something in the high five areas yeah. is what we'll have. Yeah, but that's on the low side compared to the consensus, Michael. Consensus is around 6.3. Um, gee, I hope you're right. 
be expected to move up in, you know in the, in the final quarter to just under seven percent hmm. so that's sort of a gradual ascent in that direction yeah and and why seven percent in the in the are you saying in the september quarter or december quarter in the december quarter we think it's just below seven percent hmm. um we're moving up in that direction yeah but in, the, in, in the, that time in that time michael Michael, in that time, wouldn't we expect petrol prices to come off the boil by then? And if they do, would that lower your expected number? It should do. Uh, we'll we'll just see how it's, how they're recorded as they go through the. Yeah, you know, there's quite a lag between uh, where these numbers are actually recorded and and how they uh, they 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 tend to be recorded earlier in the in the quarter than one than one thinks so yeah. that we might be sitting here with a decline in petrol prices but they're measured earlier yeah than, uh, in the quarter than we believe okay well let, let's roll into um the the likelihood of the central bank um responding aggressively on local interest rates uh where do you suspect um the cash rate will be by the end of this year. It said is that uh, uh, we think the Fed uh, will tighten this week uh, by uh, 75 basis points. Uh, there's no meeting the following month for the Federal Reserve, and uh, the month after that they'll come. They'll come back from these the 75 percent, uh, 75 point range, and uh, add. Uh, 50 basis points, 250 basis points by the end of the year. But what uh, we believe the RBA is going to do is basically get to exactly the same point of 3.35% um, by uh, the end of the first week in, uh, in November. That is to say, uh, RBA will put up rates by 50 basis points uh, <coughs> at every meeting, whereas the Fed will put up uh, rates by 75 basis points this week and then uh, 50 basis points at the following meetings to get to exactly the same point, which is uh, 335 basis points in the first week of November. Uh, yeah, I know you've always argued that the RBA watches the Fed fairly closely and you kind of have said on this program that, you know, Dr. Phil Lowe will probably do exactly, not exactly the same. You're kind of implying it now. But our inflation is not as bad, Michael. Why do we need to do, why do we have to end up the same uh, official rate when our inflation uh, looks like it's going to be more subdued? Last week, I, we did uh, an interview here with, uh, we did a, um, I guess I, I was the MC of the presentation by uh, uh, Australian Deputy Governor uh, last week in, in Brisbane, and uh, and she referred to uh, research that had been done by the RBA uh, a, a few years ago, and uh, and she uh, observed in that that uh, she thought that the equilibrium interest rate in uh, in Australia was uh, in real terms was about uh, one or one and a half percent. Now, what I did was I wrote up, I found the piece that's uh, 
published by the, in the RBA Bulletin in 2017. I noted uh, that when actually examine the piece, what you see is that the average uh, uh, real rate at equilibrium in uh, not just Australia, but also in Canada and the UK, uh, it basis points higher uh, than uh, is the case in the, in the United States. Now, people ask me, you know, why do we have to have higher interest rates in the United States? Yeah, good uh, question. And, uh, and, the, and I usually reply, well, our problem is we just don't have enough aircraft carriers. Uh, Okay, come on. As one of your fellow Queenslanders would say, please explain. Come on. Aircraft carriers and interest yeah, rates. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah, well, uh, the US dollar is the international uh, currency. Yeah. Uh, it's the, uh, it's, we used to have a gold standard back in the day. Now we've got a US dollar standard. Uh, it's the, it's, where it's where money goes to when people are scared and that's called and the difference between the u.s yield and the yield of other comparable countries in the literature is called convenience yield okay. so their equilibrium is lower than us uh, we have to pay uh, more as do the british do and have and as <coughs> do the canadians so our yeah. equilibrium is high so even though um we uh, uh when we get to the same level as the u.s we'll get to they will be at equilibrium but we may we may need uh to to raise uh, rates higher uh, to to get to our equilibrium and, and our models say that's true but uh i think that's when the difference between our inflation and the u.s inflation really starts to make the difference that, okay. you know, how much extra do we need to do over where the u.s is when it comes to equilibrium all right, well, two questions, and these are, these are questions that normal people would ask, not weirdo economists like you and me, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. Why do we have to be at the same level as the US around the same time? And, and secondly, you, being economists, knowing that there's going to be a big increase in repayments on home loans, uh, if, if in copying the, the Federal Reserve, and going to that equilibrium level you're talking about for interest rates, could it not cause a recession? And wouldn't Dr. Phil Lowe want to avoid that at all costs? And therefore, why not get that cash rate level at you know, mid middle of next year rather than at the end of this year? Uh, when you read the last statement and, uh, and, and read the last paragraph of the last statement again, okay, it's about... Uh, Ordinary uh, uh, support that was introduced uh, during the during the early part of the pandemic. Uh, now, what we know now is that the kind of reports and estimates that the RBA was reading uh, were similar to those that were publicly provided by uh, the Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College of London, not the not the economist Neil Ferguson. And they were showing that uh, uh, we were facing a disaster very similar to um, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic. Millions would die, millions would die, or at least thousands would die. And uh, it was against that scenario that there was an international move to suddenly move rates to very, very low levels and support them on the tight of Now, we know now 
we know now after the event that the pandemic wasn't ever that bad, but we didn't, but they didn't know that then. And that's why they put in this extraordinary level of low rates uh, supported by uh, quantitative easing. So what they're doing is they're taking that away together. So the RBA is, has said that's what it's doing. It's taking, in a, taking that extraordinary stimulus away just as the, uh, the curve is doing it. And I think they're doing it to, uh, uh, you know, Australia depends on uh, international <clears throat> capital markets. We, we import capital uh, most of the time. Um, and if we move in, in unison with what the uh, Fed is doing, we can limit the amount of damage we're doing to financial markets as we're doing. Uh, yeah. Then, uh, when that's over, you know, rates will still be very, very low by historical uh, standards, you know, three and a bit percent. Uh, then we can go back to uh, adjusting to our own level at uh, 25 basis point rate points, which is what I think will be happening in the early part of next year. But Michael, last week, the Reserve Bank governor said that he, he, he was sort of heading towards 2.5% on the cash rate, and he, and he didn't necessarily ha have a, a, a predetermined time. He, he would let economic data determine it. That, that, he did say that, didn't he? Yeah, and he said at least 2.5%. Yeah. At the same time, uh, here in Brisbane, we had this discussion of this piece that had been of research that's published by the RBA. If you can find the last uh, piece that I wrote, I actually referred to it at the bottom of that. Okay. I give uh, the reference to the 2017 article. So go and have a look at that 27, uh, 2017 article. Yeah, uh, okay. And it shows, as I say, that the equilibrium for the Canadians, the UK and us is 100 basis points higher than the US. Yeah, but, but I don't want us to be accused of being theoretical knuckleheads, Michael, and, and, and normal people often, you know, want to throw that kind of mud at people like you and me. But to pursue the desire to be equilibrium, could, could, could Dr Phil Lowe put us into recession? And Because, you know, it's guesswork whether it's going to cause a recession or not. Think of the situation which is most like uh, where we are now, earlier in the century. Back in the period after the uh, financial crisis, there was an enormous amount of stimulus. There was a resources boom, just like this one, except uh, this resources boom is bigger. You know, commodity prices are higher. Uh, the Australian, you know, we've, we've now got a really big current account surplus. We were still importing capital back then to build out uh, mining and gas uh, areas. Um, so, but even then, um, we put rates up to, we, we had a resources boom, a Labor government, and we put rates up to four and three quarter percent, and we didn't have a recession. Mm. It just didn't happen. So, uh, I think we can uh, tolerate three, we can, we can have a Labor government, we can have a resources boom, and we can have uh, three and a bit percent interest rates, which is still, you know, a percent and a half lower hmm. uh, than they were last month, and still not have a recession. And let me throw in just to reinforce your positivity. Uh, we didn't have $250 billion in savings accounts as well. Record levels of savings in there. <laughs> Michael Knox, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter.
Joining me now is Paul Rickard of The Switch Report. Hi, Paul. Hello, Peter. Look, you, know, you and I have been you know, waiting for a, a tech stock recovery. Um, and every time Wall Street gets positive, we see a, a pretty big rebound in tech stocks. Paul, I, I asked the same question of June Baylou. Is this a sneak preview of what you think might happen eventually, that there will be a, a rotation back into tech stocks? Look, I think that uh, has happened and will continue, Peter, um, whenever there's good news with tech shares and also we get uh, a movement, continued movement down in interest rates. But it is a bit fickle because if you look at what happened in the uh, Wall Street on Friday and the, uh, the report from Snap, obviously that, that changed the market's view about tech stocks and we've seen a couple of the Australian tech companies get hit, hit hard today as well. So... Uh, I think sentiment is still a little fickle out there in terms of technology overall, Peter. Yeah. Do you think what we need to see is uh, reporting season out of the way and a, and a string of important data revelations from both the US and Australia before the market can determine whether it wants to go higher or go lower? Yeah, I think reporting season is really critical. I mean, I still feel that overall we've got to get to the view that inflation has peaked or at least... Uh, yeah, people know how high it's going to be and therefore they can believe that the central banks are doing enough to control it. Um, I don't think the market's quite there. Maybe that view comes later this week when, uh, you know, we probably aren't far away in the US. Maybe we're not quite there in Australia, but I think that's still important. But um, certainly if you look at the, what's going on in the bond markets, you've got to say that the market's starting to factor in the, that maybe um, interest rates aren't going to go any higher, at least... Um, you know, the long term, long long part of the market, the bond market, is telling us that, uh, you know, that's already built into the price action now. Yeah. So you 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 are a former bond market player, and the sentiment in the bond market can be really important for the stock market. What what's your reading of what the U.S. bond market is is telling us? Well, the U.S. bond market classically gets things both right and wrong, Peter, and there's probably no, no better reader of, 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 of certain things in the economy. But, you know, right, right and wrong at the moment, the, the bond market is certainly worried about economic growth. Um, mm. And so I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the argument that, you know, the curve changing shape is automatically a predictor of recession. But I do think the bond market, the steep drop we saw in bond yields last Thursday and Friday, uh, is on the back of data showing that the US economy appears to be slowing and perhaps starting to say that, well, the central banks are, are taking rates far enough and they'll take them high enough that this will cause some impact on economic growth. So that's what I think the bond market is saying at the moment, probably more along the lines that, yeah, um, we've got enough short-term interest rate increases already built into the equation. Uh, and by the time the central banks follow through on those actions, um, the economy will have already slowed a little bit and maybe inflation will be under control. Mm. And, and so the meeting this week of the US Federal Reserve, the FOMC meeting, that's going to be important in terms of what kind of comments, observations and forecasts come out of that meeting, right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it is going to be important in that respect, Peter. So uh, particularly where the how the bank is looking at things going forward. I think that's going to be really important. 
And so the, the bond market will read a lot into that. But you've got to say that the bond market at the moment is, 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 is actually, you know, we, we've got US 10-year bond yields below 2.8%. They got almost about 3.4%, you know, a few weeks mm. back. So it's actually been a big movement down in yields that I think it's easy to lose sight of in, in the sense that the bond market is saying, okay, we think interest rates, all this, this action in interest rates is already fully priced in. The next move down is, if anything, and this is the bond market looking way, way, way out of the future, is interest rates heading down again. Yeah. And it's interesting, Paul, they were wrong when they took the, the, the long bond up to 3.4 because they thought inflation was going to be terrible and, and the interest rates are going unbelievably high. And now they're going on the other side. So they could be wrong on the recession story. It may well just be a slowdown in the US. Yeah, I mean, look, the bond market... Um, Look, they like to think they're right, but their record is about 50-50, no better than anyone else's. Mm. Um, they're just a little more... Uh, uh, Vocal. <laughs> what's the right way to describe it? But anyhow, they're, yeah. not, they're not as... Uh, as they like to think they're a bit smarter than most people, but so do bond traders and, mm. and fixed interest fund managers. So, huh. um, look, their record's no much better than anyone else's, put it yeah. that way. So... I think there's, there's no, I'm not saying they're going to be right, but I think that the, it is a big movement down and it is, does tell you at least, I think, that, that probably all the interest rate increases are already priced into the market enough yeah. for people to think that they're actually going to start to work. Uh, and so, as I said, the next course, this could be some years down the track, is, is the central bank saying, hang on, we've done enough tightening, now it's time to be thinking about sort of almost easing off again. That's what yeah. the bond market is telling you. Yeah. Okay, um, Paul. Um, we've seen some uh, tech stocks, you know, start to really show some uh, positive signs. They tend to be ones that are very have competitive edges, you know, like the mega ports and people like that. But also uh, a company like Magellan. You and I on the, in, the, in the boom, doom, and zoom have been uh, debating whether eleven dollars ninety or twelve dollars so is the bottom for Magellan. It seemed to have a good week last week. Do, do you think? And it actually, it actually reported better um, investment returns, didn't it? Yeah, look, it, um, it, it showed us... Uh, I've always argued that with some of those fund managers, Peter, um, the, the money follows the performance. So the key driver is, is, is how the fund is doing relative to its competitors in the markets. Yeah. And, you know, Magellan went through a period of, of, you know, for the first decade or decade and a half of its existence, it was a... You know, a chronic outperformer, hmm. um, and then it's, in the last couple of years, it's lost its edge a little bit, and that's what started to to see the funds flow turn around the other way. And we saw, you know, the big movement out from one of the institutional managers or institutional clients, and then we've seen retail clients also taking money out in the last eighteen months or so, and that's why the market's got so bearish on Magellan. And so I've argued that. The funds flow comes as a consequence of performance. What you really look at is, is uh, how it's going on the investment side. And if anything, the last couple of months have been better for Magellan. So uh, although everyone did it tough in June, uh, Magellan's June performance was relatively better uh, than many others. And so some of the, when we saw when the investment management team changed early in the year, I think some of those things that they put in place might be starting to pay off. So mm. if you get another couple of months of, of strong performance from Magellan, I think you'll start to see the funds outflow will stop uh, and suddenly the market will find a reason to start to buy Magellan yeah. shares again. So in, in many ways, Paul, we are in this sort of a, a, an unusual, well, 
It's a situation we don't see very often that lots of re really decent companies of the future have been really sold off and it's probably a buying opportunity to get in, get in now but you might get in now and then find in two weeks or three weeks time there's another sell-off but maybe in a year's time you'd be really happy that you bought in then. Do you, do you think that's the case for, for many of these quality tech stocks? No, we, we always say Zero is one of those, REA is another one but there's Megaport is probably another one but it is an interesting time for people wondering whether they should have a crack right now or wait till two reporting seasons, American, Australians out of the way, and maybe another month's worth of inflation. Yeah, look, I think um, we, this is a, uh, you know, an interesting period in markets. We're doing, you know, we're stabilising, sort of finding a bottom, question mark, um, you know, and I think this is a, a, a part of the time in the market just to be a little bit wary of because I think it's still not clear whether you know, we're heading one way or the other just yet, Peter. Um, so I think there's value in tech stocks, but I think that the, um, you know, the, the, the re-rating is if, you know, what caused the tech stock uh, challenge up front in terms of interest rates is probably now off the boil. But now what people are going to worry about is the impact of, of uh, a slowing economy and what that means for consumer demand yeah. and ultimately what that means for the demand for some of these stocks or yeah. demand for some of their products and services. So I think we're still on the sidelines a bit here. There's been, a, you know, some of the stocks need to recover. They were so oversold. Mm. Um, I think it's the great core tech stocks are still worth holding in the portfolio. But I think you're going to be, to look for big gains. Uh, I think still the market's got to do a lot more work here. Yeah. I was just thinking as I was listening to you that even if a recession came in the US and people lost their job, I still reckon they'll hold their Netflix accounts before they stop buying other stuff. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll stop buying other stuff before their Netflix account because they're going to be home doing nothing so they have to watch their Netflix. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's what's one of the concerning things I think about the, 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 the snap uh, data on Friday it wasn't snaps not that important but it did talk about reduced advertising sales in other words advertisers aren't spending as much uh, through, through social media and so forth and that's yeah. I think took an impact on some of the other major yeah. tech platforms yeah all right mate thanks for joining us thanks Peter that's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report and that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget we're back on Thursday. If you want to know more about us, go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Peter Switzer.